If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. So friends, listen. This is Jesus talking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's Word. We are finishing a series today called Conquering the Invisible Giants. And in this series, we've been looking at the emotions and the feelings that get inside of our hearts and control us. Um, The Bible says that our hearts are the sum total of of who we are. We've seen this throughout our series. All that we do flows from the heart. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our relationships, our work, all of what we do and who we are comes out of our hearts. They reflect our hearts. And these invisible giants, these things we've seen in the series, are things that make war on our hearts. They attack to conquer, and they want control of our hearts. And so we've seen them. They're anger, lust, unfaithfulness, lying, and vengeance. Jesus came and conquered these giants in his death and his resurrection, and he wants to set us free from those things in our lives. But there's one more invisible giant that's in our passage today. And this may be the worst of the bunch um, because it's truly ugly in the lives that it controls. And the worst part about this invisible giant is that everyone else can see it in you. But you can't. This is something that everyone else can see, but you're blind to it. It really is invisible to you. Know what it is? It's favoritism. It's favoritism. Okay, it's not just hate. But it's favoritism, which means showing preferential treatment. Um, Favoritism is also described as prejudice um, in some capacities, in some contexts. This is what Jesus is targeting um, in our hearts today. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is interesting. I mean, because what this does is gives us shows us the line of favoritism in our hearts. Jesus says, this is what you've heard. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. What's really ugly about favoritism is that it sneaks in. It sneaks in covertly. Um, And it masks itself, actually. It masks itself as righteousness or goodness because you... You're the nicest person in the world to some people. 
right? You're the nicest person in the world to some people. But to others, to people typically who are different from you, you've got hate. You've got judgment that wells up in your heart, that spurs out of you. You've got condescension. So I saw this. We didn't have a, a harbor design design for, uh, for this week, but I found this by an artist on the internet that was offering this for public display. And the question is, which face do you show? Right? How many faces do you have that you draw from depending on who you're talking to? Right? This is favoritism. This is how it plays out in our lives. Now, you might not think this is a big deal in your life, but I want you to look again. I want you to consider this because favoritism crops up in lots of different areas of our lives. I mean, think about politics. Think about how often there is zero tolerance for people who have different political views than you. Right? Think about the way that you treat people who disagree. Right? Think about the workplace with people who disagree with you there. People who do things differently uh, from you. Um, think about social settings and the way that you treat others. Or people who aren't like you. People who aren't as fun. People who aren't sort of your cultural aspirations. And, and hear me, it, it's not that you can't have opinions Right? It's not that you can't stand for something in politics, but the real question that favoritism gets at is, how do you treat people who disagree with you? How do you treat people like that? It's, it's good, actually. It's biblical. It's, it's G- Jesus opposed what's wrong and false. But how do you treat people that you think are wrong? That's the key. That's the key. And so we see this in life, it's, and it's ugly in life, I think it's even uglier in the church. It's uglier in the church. Uh, It produces arrogance. It produces a we're better than you kind of attitude with either anybody outside the church or anybody outside of a particular denomination or particular church. Um, I think the church is radically guilty of this in the so-called culture wars. Um... Because what happens is, it leads you to mischaracterize people you disagree with. It leads you to villainize them, to put them in the worst possible light. Now, the church isn't the only group that's guilty of this, um, but Jesus is talking to his people, and Jesus expects something from his people. What's really ugly about the message of favoritism that the church sends to the world is that this is what they're saying. Here's what favoritism says to the world outside, to all the others. It says, God only loves one kind of person. That's what favoritism does. It says that God only loves one kind of person. And the other thing that's really ugly about it is it says, and if you want God to love you, you first have to become like me. It's just, that's the opposite of the gospel. It's the opposite of the good news. It makes people hate the church. 
And so, question for you to think through, who are your enemies? Now, you might not use this term, right? I think in some ways, as a result of passages in the Bible like this, I think our culture has been shaped, and we don't use this term anymore because, you know, someone's your enemy. What's wrong with you? Why do you have enemies anyways? Um, And so you might not use that term, but uh, who do you treat with hate in your thoughts, your words, your actions? And drilling a little deeper, you know, hate does show up in anger, in yelling, in arguing, in, uh, in belittling people, but, but not always. There are times when hatred is expressed as dismissiveness. Um, you know, when you write people off, you treat people as though they're worthless and they're not worthy of your time. I think that's an expression of hatred. And so when you give in to this, this hate-filled favoritism begins to control you. That black side of your heart begins to grow, and it takes over. Um, The evil that you might be responding to, right? Someone does something evil to you. Someone persecutes you. Someone is an enemy of yours. The evil that they commit against you, when you respond with favoritism, in the way that Jesus is confronting here, that evil actually gets inside of you. Because when you act, when you return evil for evil, now that evil is coming from within you. Now that evil has taken root in your heart. And so what's at stake here is your heart. And Jesus, Jesus wants to do something extraordinary. Jesus came to bring resurrection. Jesus came to bring hope that things can be different in your life because things can be different in your heart. Okay? And that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to invite you to change today. And so the bottom line of what we're going to see today, the single point that we're going to see today, if you want to write something down, is this. The line of favoritism will divide and conquer your heart until you draw it around your enemies. Okay, the line of favoritism will divide and conquer your heart until you draw it around your enemies. Okay, that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to get to today. And so Jesus says in verse 44, this is his way. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this is how Jesus invites you to treat people that you consider your enemies. And he's serious. He's serious. Even the people who persecute you, even the people who invest a portion of their lives in making you miserable, Okay, persecution can be religious, you know, where people will mistreat you because of what you believe. But in persecution, these are people um, who mistreat you and invest their time and energy in mistreating you because of what you believe. Right. Jesus says, even these people. It's interesting because here, Jesus is saying, look, you can't control other people in your life, but you can control your response to them. 
You might not think that, but Jesus does. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus thinks so much of you. Really. Jesus thinks so much of you that he thinks, and according to his views, you actually have control over the way that you respond to your enemies. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. When we talk about God being for us, Jesus is for your ability. Jesus is for your ability to control the way you respond to your enemies. Now, you might ask how, right? Maybe some of you are thinking, all right, love my enemies, but wait a minute. You don't know my fill-in-the-blank, right? You don't know my boss. You don't know my work environment. You don't know my mother-in-law. You don't know my children. You don't know my, I mean, you don't know, right? Let me tell you a story. I recently had the privilege of hearing a man speak. His name was Cyprian Nikiri Umwami. Okay? He lives in Rwanda, and he was there during the genocide. And he fled with his family when people began to go running through the streets with machetes, hacking people's limbs off if they weren't part of the right tribe. So he fled with his family uh, to the Congo to keep from being killed. And then this is exactly what he said about his return to Rwanda. Quote, When I returned, I had to negotiate for five months just to get my house back because another family from one of these other tribes moved in during the exile. The family left after five months. The government finally ordered them to leave. And they moved into the home next door, occupied by the husband's father's elder brother. Okay, so this squatter <laughs> moved into this house, is forced after five months to leave, and then moves over in with his brother. Okay, so you've got two brothers now living there. Um, and this guy's back finally into his house. Listen to this. The wife of this family ordered their security guard to throw stones into our compound to hit our family. Then, their 10-year-old boy took a brick and threw the brick at my 6-year-old to try to kill him. He said, if that brick had got to the head of my son, he would have died. But the Lord protected him. He was not hit by the brick, so he is alive. I got angry because this boy wanted to kill my son. I got angry. I yelled awful words at him. I felt bad later and went to God and repented. I asked God to forgive me for causing such harm for a young boy. The Lord gave me such peace. I felt I was strong enough to go and find the neighbor and repent. When they got home, I went to them and recounted the story of what had happened. I begged forgiveness from them. He goes on, but this produced an unusual impact on them. They were so surprised 
to see me repenting from words I said to their son when their son was trying to kill my son. They begged me for forgiveness. That was a great day for the two families. From them, we lived at peace and we became friends. He says, I view my neighbors as those who are there by God's plan. To love them is really loving the creator himself who made them in his own image. To me, loving them is like an act of worship to God himself. He says, I remember that the Lord is with me. So, if God could enable Cyprian to love his enemies, surely, whoever's in the blank, yeah, but you don't know my... He can work in you and enable you to love them too. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Um, and then he goes on and he says, and pray for those who persecute you. Or, yeah, pray for those who persecute you. And so this is another expression of love. He says, love them and then pray for them. It's interesting here because prayer is often done by yourself. Right? It's often done in private. And so I feel like as what, what Jesus is saying is as you draw your line of favoritism around your enemies, there's both a public component and a private component. Right? You love them to their face. You love them in demonstrable acts of service. Right? You show care and concern for them. But it's not just a front. Because in secret, in your private time with God, you're also going to your God and Father and praying for them. That's what he's saying. You go to God on their behalf. Right? You're praying for those who hurt you intentionally. For those who are trying to make you suffer, you pray. I mean, this shows genuineness, right? This shows integrity, that, that in your heart, you have an earnest desire for their good. That, that your hope before, before the throne of God, your hope is that even your enemies would experience like flourishing. That they'd be blessed. That they would know God's goodness. That they would experience God and that their lives would flourish. I mean, what's interesting is that when you do this for your enemies, God fills you up. You go for them and God gives to you. Right? He changes, he renews your perspective. He reminds you of things like this. He reminds you, you know what? I made them in my image. And yes, that image has been radically distorted in them. But if you love them, that's how 
my image might be restored in them. When you pray for somebody, um, you're reminding yourself, okay, this is what I have control over, and then this is what I don't. God, I need you to handle this. So God renews us as we come to him. Here's what one of our harbor folks said about this dynamic. This idea of praying for those, for your enemies. He said this, I was mad at one of my neighbors for something that was done. I would say that this person is the singularly most unfriendly person I have met in a long, long time. And then I prayed. I had a conversation with Jesus about it. And he impressed on my heart to see what had happened from her side. He impressed on my heart that she might be very unhappy and lonely underneath the hard exterior. That changed my attitude from anger to compassion. Our Lord is a tremendous help in making it from day to day with victory. And so friends, this is true for the victims of genocide in Rwanda. And it's true for us with our neighbors downtown in North Park, in the city. Right? This is the practical, like Jesus wants to set you free. He wants you to be set free from hatred and bitterness and retaliation. What's amazing is that when you do this, something really special happens. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So Jesus says the reason that you do this is because it will actually peel back the veil and it will be a demonstration to the world of who God is. When you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you actually make a connection with God. You connect with God because you're acting just like him. This is exactly how God treats his enemies. Right? And so you are sons and daughters of God. Chips off the old block. Right? Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Because Jesus says this is how God acts. God fills the lives of people, even his enemies, with his goodness and his abundance. The abundant generosity of God. He shines the sun and he sends the rain. Now you have to understand that Jesus said this in an agricultural world. Right? In an, in an agricultural world, in an agricultural economy, these, the sun and the rain, like these were the keys to prosperity and abundance and a flourishing life. And so God shares his abundant goodness even with people who ignore him. Right? He's doing it right now. Right now. 
God has filled our city with a beauty, with a weather that is like that gives people joy. Even for people who ignore him. Even the people who hate him. God has built the world so that people would get a continual message from him that he loves them and that he generously provides for their needs. This is what the sunshine in San Diego is designed to communicate. For you and for anybody else who is in your category of other. Like this is God's disposition to them. This is the face that God wants people to be reminded of continually so that they'll know he's kind and they'll know he's willing to accept anybody who comes to him with forgiveness and restoration and love. Romans 2.4 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that makes it safe for us to come back to him. And God wants every one of you and everybody outside to look at the sun shining and say, God loves me. This is how much. And if God is this way, then his children need to be this way. And so, what Jesus is saying here is you want to take this line of favoritism that divides your heart. If you let the line of favoritism divide your heart, it will conquer and control you. But you need to take that line and draw it around your enemies. You want to take the line of favoritism that threatens to divide your heart and draw it around your enemies. You want to draw it around the people who make your life miserable. When you do this, oh man. What does that mean? Well, another way to think about this is you want to keep them in the circle of your love. Okay, so you keep loving them. You keep praying for them because that's what God does. You want to keep drawing the circle outside of them. Okay, you want to remember that every single time Every time one of your enemies, somebody that you struggle with, every time someone steps outside this line, right? Because sometimes that's, that's just par for the course, right? Sometimes you're trying to love somebody, you draw the line around them by caring about them, by asking how they're doing, by doing something nice for them. And they spurn you. They, in effect, step across the line. And they say, look, y'all might draw the line outside of me, but I'm stepping out, right? I am not going to be your friend. Jesus says when that happens... You draw the line again. You draw it outside of them again. Jesus says, keep on drawing the line outside of your enemies, around your enemies. When you do that, the freedom that you experience is palpable. Your heart changes. Your life, your perspective changes when you take steps to go, oh yeah, 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 okay, okay, all right. 
I need to draw the line outside around them so that they're inside the circle of my love. Okay, when you do that, it sets you free. It sets you free. You feel this sense of, oh man, like, yeah, 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 they're on the inside of my circle. I want to love them. I want to care for them. I want to pray for them. And when you do this, you become what Jesus calls perfect. Because he says, therefore, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So perfect in this context, it means um, whole, mature, okay? It doesn't mean that you're perfect in every way. It means that your heart is whole, right? Instead of having a divided heart that's black and red, you're, you've got a whole heart, right, that loves your neighbors and your, and your enemies. And when you do that, Jesus says, you are whole, you're perfect, you are mature, and you're set free from the cycle of hatred and prejudice and favoritism. And so, when you have no love, okay, if you're here and you, you've got people in your mind that fill in that blank, um, you've got enemies, you've got people persecuting you, and you have no love for them, or let's say you're fired up and inspired, and then tomorrow morning hits. <laughs> and you wake up and that feeling that you had is gone, right? What do you do? When you run out of love for, Jesus, uh, for your enemies, you need to run to Jesus, okay? You go to the one who loved you when you were an enemy, okay? Romans 5, verse 10 says, while we were enemies, God reconciled us to himself. Okay. While we were enemies, God reconciled us to himself. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, when we were enemies, God drew the circle of his love around us. When you were his enemy, God drove, drew his circle around you. When you crossed the line after he drew that circle, he drew it again. You crossed the line, he drew it again. You crossed the line, he drew it again. God has demonstrated his love for you. He's drawn that circle so wide that it reaches as far as the east is from the west. It's as wide as Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross. When you experience his love, when you experience his love, that's where the love fills up your heart. That's where you get, that's the source of love for you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want to close with a, a story that, another story that Cyprian told, this man from Rwanda. He said this, he said, one lady in our village took a young man into her home. When the young man was 15 years old, this man killed the lady's son. 
she took him into her house. She now calls him her son. Is what she said to him. She said, quote, Take courage. Be my son to replace the one you have killed. Be my son to replace the one you have killed. Only a mother. Only a mother. And a heavenly father. Because what God says to you today, he says, be my son or daughter to replace the one that you have killed. If you trust in Jesus, you become his son or daughter. If you believe in his death for you. And that's a love that God has for all of his children. That's the love that you want to share with others. Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you. God, words fail. God, we pray. We pray to you so that we can pray for others. King Jesus, would you speak to us now? Would you help us to realize that in this room, you stand ready to bless every person so they can have the blessing of your love? And Lord, would you also put on our hearts, put on every heart here, a name. A name of someone that we need to begin to love and pray for. Jesus, put on our heart an image of us loving and praying for that person. Lord, speak to us. Help us to be able to do this. So that we can put you on display. So that we can show people what you are like. So that people would be able to experience true abundance and flourishing in their lives. Knowing you is abundant life. Forgive us, Lord, for our hatred. Forgive us for the prejudice and the favoritism that we show. And set us free by the power of your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.